everyone. Thanks so much for joining me on the Titans of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. We have a very special episode for you here today. We are going to talk about the future of primary care. And joining me today are the CEOs of Crossover Health, a Health, and Elation Health. And I'll let everyone give them give their own intro, and then we'll dig into some of the core topics that we have here today. I'm really excited to get started. Um, so l- let's start with uh, Crossover Health CEO. Hey guys, uh, Scott Shreve, um, founder CEO of Crossover Health, and uh, I've had the privilege to uh, be leading the organization for the last 12 years. So I uh, appreciate being here today. Absolutely, we're excited. And now we have a pre-health. Uh- Jared, thanks so much for having me. Uh, excited to be here. Uh, uh, echo Scott on that regard. I am uh, Donald Trigg. I'm the CEO of PreHealth. I'm a, a 20-year veteran of the intersection of healthcare and IT. Uh, and prior to my current role, where I've been in post now for a little bit more than a month, I was the president of uh, Cerner Corporation. Awesome. Thank you so much, Don. And uh, Kina with Elation Health. Hey, Jared. Thanks so much for, for having me on today. Looking forward to the conversation. So I'm Kina Fong, the CEO and co-founder here at Elation Health. Um, we build a purpose-built technology platform for high-value primary care. So uh, looking forward to talking more about the future of primary care. I love it. I'm excited to dig in. Uh, I'd love if we could each go around. We'll start with you, Kina, real quick. Uh, I'd love to hear what led each of you into primary care. Uh, so we'll start with Kina. We'll go Don and then Scott. Yeah, so <clears throat> it was a, a little involuntary, I would say. So my dad is a primary care physician. Um, I was born and raised in Canada where he practiced and one day he, he sort of came home, this is right before I started high school, he came home, he said, hey, you know, I can't practice the type of personalized medicine I want to, and so we're moving to the US. Uh, not exactly the, the thing you wanna hear as you're about to start high school, but we moved down to, ended up in, in California. And, um, you know, and so I was one of the older two kids with my co-founder, Conan, and we helped him build a practice, a primary care practice from, from scratch. And so that is when I, you know, really got exposed to primary care. And I think in particular, being on the front lines of care, you know, short, short of being a clinician, but I think the it was a really formative time for me to see, you know, the, the deep trusted personal relationships that exist on the, on the front lines of primary care. And it, it was really that in combination with, you know, fast forward 10, five, 10 years, you know, when we were trying to put technology into the practice, and starting Elation, I think that experience really grounded um, me and Conan in why uh, primary care is important and what needs to be preserved about it, despite you know the importance of technology, really always bringing it back to the relationship um, and the trust uh, in order to um, have effective primary care. And when you have it, the really incredible um, value and outcomes it can drive. And so uh, that's, that's how I got into primary care as a kid. Um, and it feeds into the story of Elation. Thanks, Kina. Uh, Don, would love to hear how you uh, got into primary care as well. Kina, I love that story. Um, I love that. I love that kind of path, that journey path. Um, look, I believe that there's a massive affordability 
crisis in U.S. healthcare. Um, uh, I think in the commercial space where we focus, that's a, a an area that's going to see uh, you know a double-digit cost trend uh, as we start to think about some of the inflationary dynamics pulling through into the healthcare space. Um, so I think there's a real crisis of affordability. Um, I think that uh, primary care um, uh, as a key linchpin to how the individual uh, navigates uh, provider network and health network strategies uh, is critically important in terms of what it looks like to solve for that. Um, and for our company, where we're bringing together a combination of assets, um, I saw the chance to build out an integrated and enterprise strategy um, uh, that could meet the appetite of the market to, I think, want to look at total cost of care uh, and how primary care could be a part of, of addressing it. We're going to kick it over to you, Scott. You know, what led you to primary care? Sure. Yeah. I, uh, of, of interest, I'm an emergency medicine physician. So I went all through medical school and my training and uh, really got into my practice. And I just could not believe that, uh, you know, what was happening in the emergency room and, you know, where was, you know, primary care and why was, why were all these people kind of coming to this place of care of last resort? And I really, you know, would see my 30, 40 patients a day. And I'm just like, man, how do I get more upstream to actually have an impact on the lives of all the people that I had the privilege to take care of? And I also felt the need, like, could I, you know, go beyond just seeing those 30 patients a day? Could I have an impact at a larger scale? And really, it just came down to like, hey, I, I became really interested in the financing of healthcare and how that worked. And you know, really thought that primary care was heavily and uh, grossly underfunded and could it be done different and better? And this is the time that the iPhone was just coming out and all this new technology and different ways to engage the members. And I just really became enamored by that idea. And so we started crossover with the idea that, you know, you, you could really change primary care. And that was the orientation I came to this at having seen it from the lens of an emergency department to now looking systematically of why can care be done different? Can it be paid for different? Can it be experienced differently? And we just felt like we couldn't do that within the traditional healthcare system. We'd have to go out to find people who are willing to pay for care in a different way. And we knew it couldn't be to the consumers initially. And so we stumbled upon this area where all these self-insured employers are funding their own healthcare. They're not happy with it. They don't like it. They want it to be a better experience and they're willing to pay for it in a different way and still demand incredible value. And so I know we're going to get into that today, but that was my journey to move from emergency medicine into primary care. And I've just really become passionate about uh, foundational primary care as a way to uh, inflect, you know, many of the challenges in our healthcare system. And it's a great base to build from, to create from, and to extend to solve a lot of the challenges that we're facing as a country. So. Uh, thank you, Scott. And this is actually what you just said leads well into what I wanted to kind of dive into next was what makes the primary care space so ripe for innovation today? I think each of you, there was a tidbit within, you know, what led you to primary care uh, around the innovation that can happen in this space, but uh, would love to dive more into that starting with you, Scott. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll take a stab. So we, we actually have an expanded view of what primary care actually is. I think historically we thought of primary care as a doctor and maybe a nurse, and uh, there's someone to go to when you're sick. And we just think fundamentally that needs to shift. And so we like the term primary health uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it's beyond primary care. It's not just the doctor and the nurse, but now it should involve mental health, physical therapy, health coaching, 
care navigation should probably be embedded in there because what we're interested in is not transactional disease care. We're actually interested in uh, health. We want people to help be healthy and perform and you got to get in front of this. And that's certainly something I learned in the emergency uh, department. Um, I think because of how we pay for healthcare, we really segmented into transactional medicine. You only get paid for the things you do, not the things you prevent. And so I've been a big proponent of more of a global view of, of, of uh, payment because I think that really moves you into value. Um, I also think this technology has, has moved us from discontinuous medicine to now continuous medicine. I can constantly be connected to my members now through technology, which can inform and change how I practice. And so you don't need to physically come in for me to be caring for you. And the, the pandemic really accelerated this. So I think there's multiple trends going on that all feed into you know, the innovations that we're seeing in primary care, everything from payment to delivery to you know, integration, uh, all speaking towards getting and moving to value. At the end of the day, I shouldn't be, you know, have to find a code to generate value. Like, like I should be able to you know, deliver that objectively and get paid for you know, keeping people well as opposed to just doing to, uh, things to people when they're sick. So again, there's a lot to unpack there, but I think that'll set this off. And I know Don and uh, Kina can, can extend that from there. So, Thanks, Scott. We're going to kick it over to you, Don, now. Uh, would love to hear your thoughts on uh, you know, why this space is right for innovation. Well, I think Scott and I have a ton of um, shared thinking and passion um, around what healthcare can be. Um, and so I'll echo some of his, his concepts and my framework and mental model around it, which is I really see an opportunity to move from traditional provider networks to what I call a health network. And so I think the health network starts with the person at the center. It, it's competencies around knowing the individual, knowing the person. And, and as we know, and, and Kenan Scott can echo, that's a hard idea in healthcare because status is variable. So sometimes, you know, I want to be a person, but sometimes I'm a member, sometimes I'm a patient, sometimes I'm a caregiver on behalf of others. And sometimes in the world where, where Scott lives and, and, and where the cast light side of our business grew up, there's incentive structures and benefits designed that, that have me acting in more of a consumer posture uh, around how I, I navigate uh, networks. So data-driven personalization um, is a huge opportunity for us to be more effective in what it means to really know the person um, and make it easier for him or her to navigate uh, a health network. The, the second thing I have, I think you have to do really echoing Scott is you have to incentivize health. Um, and that means you, you are in a contractual framework where you're thinking about strategies um, that are oriented around uh, avoidance of care and health or appropriate diagnostics to understand care plan and strategy. And so um, I think when you do that, you start to introduce new thinking around venue uh, where the office, contextual for hybrid, and the home are venues. And, uh, and that's really where our legacy Vera business grew up. So I think if you know the person, if you incentivize health, I think those are necessary but insufficient. I think you then need to integrate care. Um, and so in the work that we're doing uh, with JP Morgan in the employer space, with Elevance, formerly Anthem, in the payer space, 
we're thinking about those integration strategies in uh, into a larger health network. And I think when you when you do that, you have a chance to do something fundamentally different relative to experience, quality, and cost. Thanks, Don. Uh, uh, Kina, do you want to uh, kind of add add your two cents on top of that as well? And uh, thank yeah. you for your patience uh, in a snake structure. It's great when you get two questions basically in a row, but you have to wait sometimes when you're on the <laughs> other end of it. So appreciate that, your patience. No, no worries at all. I, I think uh, both Don and Scott have uh, shared a lot of um, fantastic insight and I agree with, with all of it. I think Maybe the perspective for me to add, you know, I'm a, I'm an economist by by training, uh, uh, and just and I think the the thing that stands out to me is, um, you know, you look at the ROI of an incremental primary care dollar, and you know that's consistently shown uh, in the literature to have an, an enormous return. And so I think the the Oregon number is, you know, an incremental dollar of primary care investment leads to thirteen dollars. Of downstream spend that gets saved and you know avoided utilization, hospitalizations, etc. So I think that's one thing, and I think the other thing to point out in terms of the opportunity in primary care is the fact that as a country we're spending less than five percent of our healthcare dollar on primary care, whereas most developed countries are spending you know upwards of twelve to fifteen percent. And so I think that just in and of itself, those two data points suggest enormous potential. Um, and and truly, you know. Um, primary care in in the U.S. There are so many pockets where very strong, like you know, effective, high value primary care is happening. But there's so many barriers that have been built over time, especially in our kind of traditional fee for service, you know, third party payer type infrastructure. And I think you know today there's just you know incredible innovation. I think on all of the fronts that are needed for primary care to succeed. So one, it's the, the cost pressures. I mean, we've had these inflationary pressures in healthcare for a long time, a desire for more value. So how do we get more, you know, value per healthcare dollar? Um, primary care stands up straight as a, a, a huge lever there. I think the second thing is the willingness to innovate on payment models, um, whether you're inside the healthcare system or outside of it and what employers are leading and a lot of what, you know, Scott and Donna preference. There's a desire to say, hey, we, we have to think differently about how we pay. And it's okay if our dollars get reallocated, you know, and more dollars are get, get spent on primary care. And I think that's a huge um, opportunity that you're seeing today. And I think the third thing, and certainly my sweet spot, is technology, right? I think you have um, enormous amount of data uh, that is now becoming available. You have an incredibly connected population, a digital native generation, and just the opportunity to intervene at the right time, right place for patients um, in a way that really elevates primary care as uh, not only improving the patient's outcomes and their health, but also just their experience with healthcare and investing in their own health. Uh, so I think all of those uh, tailwinds for healthcare, I'm uh, sorry, for primary care right now within healthcare, um, certainly make it very, very ripe for innovation in a in a really fantastic time to be doing work in this space. Thanks, Kina. We're going to bring it right back to you uh, on the other end. So, you know, all of you are, are, are innovators in this space, and wherever there's innovation, there's hurdles. So I'd love to hear from each of you what some of the biggest hurdles are, 
you know, as you innovate in this space? Should I take a stab there as a start? <laughs> okay. Um, biggest hurdles in this space. I mean, it, it certainly it is the the legacy kind of infrastructure, right? And, you know, I, I talk about the tailwinds uh, you know, that I just mentioned, but at the end of the day, the center of gravity in healthcare, where the healthcare dollars go, where the interests go, where what people are used to um, is a lot of the existing, you know, kind of fee for service, um, um, you know, hospital led or, or dominated kind of environment and moving and shifting the dollars into, you know, primary care, into ambulatory environments, into, you know, um, when patients are, are healthy rather than, than when they're sick think is against the status quo. And so I think that that certainly uh, creates significant hurdles. And, and I think it comes back to also where and how you can build up your business. So something we've been really intentional about, because we, along the way of our journey, um, there have been many opportunities to say, oh, we can grow revenue faster by leaning into, you know, fee-for-service billing. And like, that's where, you know, that's where the market is. That's what everybody's doing. And but that would have closed the door to the opportunity to really be building a, a technology platform for the future for a very different model of care. And I think that, um, you know, having the opportunity to you know, make some really specific decisions to work towards that, that future, I think, um, have served us well, but they're not necessarily what, what the entire, you know, industry is rewarding. So I've had a long, long, uh, awesome relationship with Scott and the team at Crossover. And it's, it's opportunities like that where you find like-minded innovators who are really trying to change the future. I think that's what you have to, to search and find to really, you know, innovate and change. But the, you know, but the status quo sits all around you. And so it, it is an active effort. Thanks, Kina. We're going to kick it over to you, Don. And I'd like, if possible, I'd love for you to dive more into uh, a piece that Kina brought up in the beginning. Um, you know, one of the barriers are these old payment structures, the billing infrastructure. Um, I would love if, if, if you in particular, you know, along with your, your response, if you could also maybe touch upon that uh, some more as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think all of us have talked about incentive structures contextual for the discussion up to this point. And Kina did a really nice job um, getting at it um, um, in terms of what the hurdle rate looks like to, to disrupt in this space. Um, you know, um, Ron Adner, who I, I did a book with Georgetown earlier this year, The New Health Economy, and, um, and Ron Adner did the forward for it. And, and I think he rightly talks about the problem in U.S. healthcare as an ecosystem problem. And, and that's a little bit of what Keena's getting at. And so, you know, I'll, I'll start with government and policy uh, because, you know, one of the big things that I think early stage companies struggle with is really understanding flow of funds and payment and how it, it does or doesn't impact what happens in healthcare. You know, Kina, we're not in Canada inside a global budget construct um, where you get better and more sophisticated thinking in many ways around flow of funds. Um, it is, to Scott's point, much more transactional. But the policy framework, Jared, really um, incentivizes, um, uh, to Scott's earlier point, transactional focus around fee-for-service and volume in a way that can be inconsistent with uh, what, what we're arguing the incentive structure should look like. 
but that's the first big dynamic that I think's at work. Then you get into Kina's other really good point, which is that has implications then for how incumbents um, uh, organize um, to um, think through strategies around health and care across the health economy. And so there's a lot about both um, the provider supply side and the payer infrastructure as a dimension of how we think about the person and, and what it looks like for them to operate in the health economy that have been organized around that traditional fee-for-service system. And, and therefore, all of that becomes a real hurdle rate to strategies that are oriented around the person where we're trying to think about what does it look like frequently to, to Scott's good point in, in a uh, with some modicum of information asymmetry to really help him or her successfully think through and navigate a plan for health and care. So that's a pretty daunting set of things for any uh, organization to try to tackle. Um, and I think that's part of what you would hear from any entrepreneur or any early stage company that's that's working in the space. Yeah. Thanks, Don. We'll bring it back to you, Scott. And thanks for yeah. thanks for your patience. You had a, a key. <laughs> no, I, I, I'd, I'd echo what Don Don said. I mean, that basically, you know, we know that in, in in the scientific research around medicine, it takes 17 years to go from a discovery of this is the right treatment or idea or concept to actual practice in the bedside. And so, I, I think the same thing is happening in how uh, the payment model works for you know primary care. Let me let me share where the rubber hits the road, right? So we we are a primary care provider. We've had the privilege, as uh, Kina mentioned, to uh, work with them for the last uh, five or six years on this. But what happens is everyone talks a great game, primary care, value-based payment, all this stuff, and then it's like, okay, well, great. And here's what it costs to the, to, to deliver that. You will take money from your specialty budget and you will apply it to the primary care budget, but it's going to pull down that specialty budget. So everyone kind of reads the literature, they see all the evidence, they see you know, overwhelming evidence that that's the fact. But when it comes down to it and we present the charge to deliver the service, everyone's like, well, I just did my actuary for the last 10 years and I spent X on primary care and why are you guys charging more? And you know, well, that's not you know, right. The, the whole point of all that is that people don't, they say they want value, they don't really understand what it means and they often are not willing to pay for it until you can really show them the overwhelming results and it's gonna take some time. So we need to keep coming back with more evidence, more studies and so forth. But I want to highlight that the gap between verbalizing, I want to pay for value-based care and literally doing it, there is a gap. And I work in the commercial space exclusively where people understand value and they're willing to pay for it. And I think that's a sector that will probably, probably can move faster than some other parts. But we've also had great demonstrations in Medicare Advantage and others. So we think one of the big barriers is, the way, is this payment model. And I'm just highlighting that when the rubber hits the road, it's hard for people to pay more for something without really seeing immediately how it pulls down everything else. And that's where I think more evidence, more data, more uh, can do that. Now, what pulls that cost structure down? And, and we've already, everyone's kind of said different parts of this. You've got to have a great relationship, a trusted relationship with a core care team. That core team has to get to work to take care of all the prevention, the basics, um, and build enough of a confidence and trusted relationship and go after those chronic conditions that you may have pull that all down. And then we have to stay with you to steer, guide, and navigate you to the expensive, complex, confusing part of the healthcare system. And that, that whole cycle of care is what we're talking about here. And that's not really being done very well today from the very beginning of building relationship to prevention, 
to the back end when you actually have a, a big concern and you enter that, that system, you know, how do we make all of that work? And again, financing this differently, having different technology to do that, um, and having outcomes that prove that this works is really what's required. And, and as we remove those barriers stepwise, then it will take time for the cultural adoption to happen. And it is a, a big fight. I mean, Keenan and I have been at this a lot of time. Don, you have as well in different areas, and we're all in this now together. But there is a lot of work to do. We're excited to get after it. And what I will say is there are innovators stepping in and making that happen. You know, some on this call and others in the industry. And we have a, those first sets of clients who are really pushing this in the commercial space, which we're thrilled to see. And, you know, it's going to be an exciting couple of years ahead. Thanks, Scott. I, I want to, as, uh, as we get ready to wrap up the episode, I'd like to go down the line again. We'll start with you, Scott. Uh, you, you were talking about, you, you were leading into it, and I was, I was very, you know, quiet in the background. I didn't want to jump in, but I'm going to jump in now um, regarding, you know, what role does technology have in the future of primary care? And then I want to dive into, uh, if you can also kind of part two to that, paint us a picture of what the future of primary care looks like through your lens, and then we'll go down the line. Uh, we'll go Scott, Don, and, and Kina sure. to wrap it up. So I'll take tech first. We rely incredibly heavily on tech, not as the thing we put in between or in front of the patient or between us and the patient, but as a seamless accelerator and force multiplier of the work that we do. So that's a lot to say, but what I mean by that is it should be seamless, easy, and invisible, but make you so much more productive and capable. One of the big ways that we use technology is, is to be continuously connected to the member. And today that's done through messaging, asynchronous messaging, so forth. In the future, I believe it'll be done through more instrumentation where the, 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 the member has more you know, devices and other things that are connected with their permission, which is critical. And uh, I just see technology accelerating this, but it's not in the way that you think. It's just you know, big tech solves all this stuff. It's got to be seamless and visible and a part of the way care happens. One just simple example of that is this idea of discontinuous versus continuous medicine. It used to be that you just show up when you're sick and that's the only interaction you have with the doctor. Then you go away until the next time you're sick. That is such a poor version of what health should be. You know, can I now stay connected with you? And are there touches and other things I can do in between visits that are really useful to managing this? And so I see a future to tie it to your last question where the world I want to live in is the world where I have a care team that I know and trust that's around that I get to access them through seamless technology that I can go after and move forward on health plans that I have. And then when I really need care that I am, have helped to steer guide and get navigated to where I need to go. And all of that can be done in a way that I find valuable and I'm willing to, uh, you know, you know, pay for that, whether through you know, myself or the sponsor. So that's the world I'd love to live in, that that is all seamlessly working. And it's a little bit Pollyannish at this point, but this is why all of us are here with our picks and shovels to make it happen. So uh, excited about the future. Thanks, Scott. We'll kick it over to you, Don. Um, well, I love Scott's narrative around it. I mean, look, um, there was, you know, you do get these regulatory triggers, Jared, that end up being relevant for uh, waves of entrepreneurial activity you know, my first foray into this space was in 2006, 2007 timeframe, following, you know, passage of the Medicare Modernization Act and creation of health savings accounts and some of the things that were playing out then. That's when Castlight and Verahol Health were both started in 2008. 
Um, certainly to Scott's point, there was also a wave of activity following passage of the ACA. Um, and in particular, specific to commercial, some of the dynamics around the Cadillac tax. Um, and so what's different now? I think one of the things that's meaningfully different now is the data and technology landscape relative to healthcare. Um, I think if you begin to understand at the systems level what's required to go drive strategy and approach around the person, our ability to identify the individual, which is non-trivial in healthcare, to do attribution, uh, to think about then prediction, um, uh, to Scott's point, to then begin to think about how we plan, how we manage, and how we measure progression in a way that's important not only for the individual uh, around their health and care progression, but to Scott's point, also important in terms of how we quantify ROI and benefit relative to dollar invested I think the data and technology landscape has meaningfully changed um, and is a big reason to believe that strategies in this space can scale. Um, the, the second thing I would say is that one of the things that is a, it's a hurdle, but I think um, uh, increasingly an opportunity that we can navigate is the organizing points for a lot of, we've talked a lot at segment level today, but a lot of the organizing dimensions around how the person navigates health and care are local to a market. They're at the MSA level. And so we can get pockets of innovation around a discrete market and around network design, but it can be more difficult then for us to think about scale strategies on a multi-market basis. Again, I think data and technology are a big piece of how you think about not only driving the integration at the market level or MSA level, but also what it looks like to begin to think about capabilities above the local network that allow you to think about multi-market scale and the profitability of those network strategies. And so that's something that is exciting to me um, and where I think there's real opportunities to put capital to work. Around the final point I would make, which is Scott's really good point around what does it look like to really think about an integrated care team? And I would say integrated care team that includes the individual as part of care team uh, and typically family member, particularly relative to high cost procedure areas. Um, uh, and so I think there's a chance for us to do that. And technology can be part of um, what makes it easier for us to think about multimodal communication and, and, and um, data access um, inside a consent framework that allows us to, to be more active participants in how we manage health and care. So I think there's a lot of, of, of reasons for enthusiasm, and I think the data and technology landscape is a big piece of it. Thanks, Don. And uh, Kina, last but not least, would love your yeah. take on this as well. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, as, as Scott and, and, and Don have mentioned, I mean, data and technology have an enormous role to play. I think, you know, adding adding some perspective there on, you know, as a technology player in the space, how we think about it. And, you know, I really think technology should be an enabler of innovation in primary care. And one of the ways to do that is to is take a platform view, right? Like there's so much to primary care that is is common across 
you know, ways to innovate. And one of the roles that, that we can play as a technology platform is to provide a common platform that kind of takes care of the usual stuff that um, people need across primary care and, and provide the APIs, the access to data, the ease of innovation on top of, you know, our platform that allows for that innovation. So we think a lot about how do we help our customers figure out new models of care? How do we help them prove those new models of care? And then ultimately, how do we help them scale those new models of care? And, you know, I think in in the world we're in today, every company has an element or many, the, the best companies will have an element of technology in them. Like Scott and his team at Crossover, they have a great, you know, technology organization um, and we help contribute to that. We help, you know, them help enable them to do even more uh, with uh, their teams and do it faster. And that's that's certainly what we need and we don't need anybody, you know, rebuilding everything from scratch. And, and I think, you know, it's really important for technology to, one of, one of the philosophies we have internally is this clinical first mentality that we apply as a philosophy across our product development. But I think that's really important for technology and primary care. It's like continue to keep in mind that the purpose of this technology is to support patient care, to support the patient physician relationship. And, um, and I think if, if tech, if, as a community building technology for primary care, we can keep that front and center. I think that will accelerate, you know, those visions for primary care that that Don and, and Scott have laid out. I mean, I think there's just so much, so much potential. And to piggyback on a couple ideas that have already been been shared, like I love Scott's primary health idea. I don't know if I've told you that before, Scott, but it's you know it comes up so regularly this idea that primary care. There's some confusion when you use the word primary care. Because they think of it as a very specific specialty, as defined, you know, in in the kind of medical education and specialty tracks, and it's really not. It really needs to be oriented around the the patient experience. Like it is a much much broader term and a much broader set of capabilities, services, and um and support for patients. Uh, that is their primate, like their first line of of the healthcare system and their first touch. But that expansion of the role of primary care, I think, is one of the the, the most exciting innovations that that we're going to see, and um, you know, really getting to that that vision of you know personalized, accessible, trusted, right, informed uh, care um, is you know I think what ultimately creates a it creates a win win. That's what I love about primary care, like patients win. <laughs> You know, providers get to spend more time with their patients. Like it's it's and, and costs come down. Like there's so many so many wins coming out of it. So of course, yeah, very bullish and Just, excited about the future. Yeah, one step I have to throw out to what Kina said earlier: the return on investment of I think one to thirteen. You mentioned also primary care is the only specialty. Only you know it's the original specialty, but it's also the only specialty. The more you spend, the more the more value you get. You know, everything else, the more heart surgeries you have, more that none of those things create value, but primary care is the one service that does. And so, again, to all the points that have been made, it's just so critical that we look at this as the foundation to invest in recreating, you know, or in building a, a, the healthcare system of the future. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you all again so much for coming on the podcast. I can't wait to already, you were just on, and I can't wait to have you all on again uh, to, to dive into some more. Uh, you know, topics around primary care. Um, hopefully I'm able to see uh, each of you at some of the upcoming conferences coming up. I'll be at HLTH. And, uh, you know, if, if we don't see it, th uh, 
see each other at that conference. I'm sure it's a it's a it's a tight group. I'm sure we'll we'll see each other at, at one of these upcoming events. But um, yeah, thank you uh, everyone, and and can't wait to uh, to stay connected and learn more about what you're what you're all building. Thank you.